0: about joe biden well let's forget about this election let's go back to 2016 on the night before that election biden said there has never been a more important tomorrow in modern electoral history we'll go back four years earlier while campaigning in iowa biden described the election between uh, Br- barack obama and Mitt romney as the most important election and the starkest choice between candidates we've seen in our lifetime Back to 2008, when Obama and John McCain were on the ballot, Biden declared, this is the most important election that you will ever, ever have voted in, any of you, since 1932. And then in 2004, while campaigning for John Kerry, Biden asserted, this is the single most important election of your lifetime. And in case you were wondering, this type of hyperbole doesn't uh, just uh, start in these recent years. In the 60s, John Kennedy told reporters that he and Richard Nixon were competing in the most important election since the election of Lincoln 100 years ago. And in that same election, Billy Graham delivered an invocation at a Nixon rally, describing it as the most crucial election in American history. Well, let's keep going. In 1952, Harry Truman, campaigning for Adelaide Stevenson, declared that this was the most critical election since the Civil War. And going back to to 1888, let's keep going. When Benjamin Harrison and Grover Cleveland were running, uh, running against each other for the second time, the New York Times published this statement. The Republic is approaching what is to be one of the most important elections in history. Let's keep going. Let's go back another 20 years. In 1868, the Atlantic Monthly described the presidential election like this. It would indeed be no exaggeration to say that this is the most important election that Americans have ever known. And just one more for fun. Let's go back to 1840 when a Washington newspaper claimed claimed that it was the most important election since the days of Jefferson is at hand. And it is election to decide the character of our government, perhaps forever. Clearly, elections are important. We know that politics have a significant place in our culture, and they, they have potential to greatly impact our lives. And clearly people have placed incredible importance on them every cycle, and we should. But come on, Is every single election bear that much weight in the grand scope of things? Do these elections deserve the weight that our culture gives them? Well, we can argue about that. But I think that we need to be careful as Christians because I think we can easily give in to the temptation to give politics more value and weight in our lives than it rightly deserves. What is the proper place of politics in the life of a Christ follower? Well, that's what we are trying to explore as Pastor Jeff kicked off our new series, The Politics of Jesus, last week, as he very clearly unpacked Romans 13, and he offered these three things for us to understand from Romans 13. First, no authority exists except that which is granted by God. Second, you honor God by obeying the government, the authority that he has established. Third, we obey the government up to the point where obeying the government would mean we disobey God. You see, Christ followers, we clearly live under God's authority, but we also live under the God-given authority that is Given to the government. So, what does it mean to live with these two citizenships in tension? What does it mean to live with these dual citizenships? Well, that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at citizenship and Jesus. And there's actually a story in Matthew 22 where Jesus himself speaks to this idea of dual citizenship. So, Matthew 22 15 to 22. And while you're turning there, let me uh, give a little context to what's going on. Well, it's Tuesday of Holy Week, and Jesus has entered the temple. And he is teaching, and he's teaching on the kingdom. He's he's teaching particularly on how we enter the kingdom of God. And you know what this is doing? It's making the religious and the political leaders very nervous. Why? Because in their minds, he's speaking against them. So what they do is they set up four interactions that are really traps their attempts to trap jesus in his own words and the story we're looking at in matthew 22 15 to 22 is their third attempt to trap jesus so if you have your bibles look at matthew 15 uh, 22 15 to 22 then the pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words and they sent their disciples to him along with the herodians saying teacher We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and that you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and description is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard that, they marveled, and they left him and went away. What is happening here? Well, Jesus is teaching of another, better, greater kingdom, and it's upsetting the status quo. And who is it upsetting? Well, two groups of people are mentioned here. First, the Pharisees, and then the Herodians. You see, the religious Pharisees viewed Rome as an invading colonizer to be overthrown. And the secular Herodians, what were they interested in doing? They wanted to maintain the puppet government that Rome had set up. With Herod Antipas being their current leader. So here you have a pro-Israel group conspiring with a pro-Rome group to trap Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus makes both sides of the political spectrum so uncomfortable that they conspire together to join forces to oppose him, to trap him. And what was the trap? It was a trap uh, that was a big deal to a lot of people. It was taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes? You see, the Pharisees viewed paying taxes as an obvious sign of submission to Rome. Some extremists in the group even thought that it was a sign of slavery. So if Jesus said the tax was lawful, he would alienate himself from a from a majority of the people of Israel. But if he said the tax was unlawful, he was going to be liable for treason to Rome. What was Jesus to do? Well, he saw their in your schemes and he gave a response that is a bit of a mic drop of sorts. It's an amazing response because it doesn't shortchange the temple and it doesn't uh, the temple in Jerusalem and it doesn't shortchange the palace in Rome. He asked for a coin, Now they probably didn't have uh, a coin because they wouldn't have images of of other other gods or other people in the temple, but somebody found one, and they got a denarius about a day's wage, and they showed it to him, a little coin. And I imagine he looks at the coin, and he tosses it back to the person who gave it to him, and, and what does he tell him? He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. Now, it's very important for this morning for us to understand what this word render means. It means to give back what is owed. Give back what is owed. That's simply what it means. And so when he says this, he's telling, he's telling the, uh, uh, the people who are listening, he's saying, he's not only rebutting them, but he's laying down the proper relationship for our two citizenships. You see, when Jesus brings up a coin that bears the image of Caesar, this little coin, it would almost have certainly reminded all of the Jewish listeners of Genesis 1. Does it remind you of Genesis 1? The coin was stamped with the image of Caesar. But every life there knew that they were stamped with the image of God. And here is what Jesus is saying. Give give this little trinket, give this little image-bearing piece of tin back to Caesar. If you owe it to him, if you owe it to him, give it back to him. But give your life, which is marked by me, the sovereign God, back to me. And that's how you balance and prioritize your dual citizenship. That's what Jesus is saying. And what happened? They left. They were speechless in awe. So what exactly is Jesus teaching us about balancing our dual citizenship? Well, I want to propose three things from this text that I want us to remember about how we can be a dual citizenship. The first thing is to fulfill the obligations of your earthly citizenship. Give what is due and pay what is owed. What does it mean for us today? Well, it means we obey the law. We pay our taxes. We write government officials. We attend meetings. We serve as citizen soldiers. You know, we celebrated Veterans Day this week, and and I just want to take a moment to, to thank everybody here who is a veteran for your service. Thank you. That is a way that we do our part. You may even run for office if you feel that is what God is calling you for. And you obey the law. You pay your fines. Just like I did when I was not paying attention on Fabian and was pulled over for a speeding ticket. I paid my fine. I did my part. So being a dual citizen means that we fulfill our obligation to our earthly, uh, as an earthly citizen. We fulfill our obligation to the government. I think that makes sense. But there's a second and more important obligation that Jesus wants to make sure we understand. We understand, uh, to to be a dual citizen, we need to understand that your obligation to God is everything. It's everything. Every aspect of your life and being. So if he rendered to Caesar means doing our part, obeying the law, uh, participating in the political process, what does it mean to render to God what is God's? What does it mean that we owe him everything? What do we need to give back to God? Well, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. If you are in Christ, you have died. Your life is hidden in Christ, and Christ is Your life. He is your life. Now and forever, we belong to him. He gave us everything. So what do we owe him? Everything. Because of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death and resurrection, we live for him because the life that we have through him, which means we owe him everything. As the old hymn puts it so well, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. All. All to him I owe. We render to God what is God's. It means that we give him our lives, all of our lives, and we live for him. Which leads to a very simple third way that Jesus is telling us to be a dual citizen. He's saying, don't confuse the two. Don't confuse the two. Never place more value or hope in our earthly kingdom and citizenship than in our, your citizenship in heaven. Think back to the Pharisees. They were trying to trick Jesus. but You see, they were fighting the wrong battle. They were really focused and concerned about national identity and, and removing the colonizers and standing against them. They were much more focused on that, most likely, than focused on doing what God required of them right there in their day-to-day lives. In Jerusalem. Jesus was telling them, yes, be Roman citizens, but get your eyes off Caesar in Rome and focus on living your life for me right here, right now. I think that's a good message for us all today. Yes, be good American citizens. Do your part. Please hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't participate in the political process. But don't get caught up in the power dynamics of earthly politics. Don't place your hope and base your joy in our political system. Instead, render your life, give what is owed to God. Which I think leads to the big question that that I hope you're asking right now. What does it mean to render to God what is God's right here in 2020, in this crazy season here in Geneva? What does that mean? What do we do with our lives? What does it actually look like to render to God what is God's? Well, I want to propose that we, we render to God what is his when we follow his purposes and his plans for us. When we give our lives and live out what he wants and what he values for us and for all of creation. So let me offer three suggestions for how you and I can render to God what is God's. How we can live for him. The first way that we uh, live, live for God, we render to God what is God's, is we live out his mandate. We steward our world We work to bring the created order into flourishing. This mandate comes from the very beginning. Look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness to rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth itself. And every creature that crawls upon it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. God is saying, let us live out his mandate. Let us as people rule and subdue the earth. Well, What does that mean, rule and subdue? Well, Let's make very clear, it's not conquer and pillage. That's not the point. What it means is that we are called to take care of and to lead all of creation towards order and justice and flourishing. It means to rule well, to to be a good steward. This mandate is for people to work for the flourishing of all creation, wherever they find themselves, wherever you find yourself, working at home, working on a farm, working in a business office, working in the arts, in education, and even politics, especially politics. It's a mandate for human beings to lead and develop the world towards order and flourishing that benefits all of creation, particularly other people, especially the vulnerable. That's the mandate. What does that mean for you and me today? If we want to render to God what is His, if we want to live our life for Him, one of the things that we will will do is work towards flourishing and order in our families, in our church, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our city, but we have to understand too that with the fall, and with the fall of mankind and sin entering the world, a couple chapters later in Genesis three, humanity shifted. We shifted from caring for others to caring for ourselves, putting our eyes on ourselves, which really makes makes this very difficult. In fact, it brings the, the task of bringing human flourishing to created order. It, it complicates it incredibly. It makes it massively more difficult, which I think um, is important for us. We need to start here. We must work here. We must work here to, at this first mandate. But we also must remember that this first mandate points us to the one who came to restore order and to bring true final flourishing to every part of creation, which leads to the second way that we render to God what is God's, the way we live our life, For him is to live on his mission. We live on his mission. Well, what's his mission? Well, a very famous passage that most of us should know is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And this is what Jesus told his disciples there after his resurrection before he went to heaven. And these words still apply to us today. And Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. You see, if we are on mission to share the good news that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me, it means that we work to know, to learn, to understand, to apply the gospel to our own lives, to change us. It means that we are to go, that we move towards others, And we share our lives and the message of hope that only comes through the power of the gospel. And it means we are to grow ourselves and others. That we are to become obedient followers of Jesus. And we are to help others do the same so they can do the same. We give back our lives to God by living on his mission. Jesus is saying, yes, care about and participate in the political process where you are. Do those important things. But never forget to keep on mission of going and making disciples and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded you. And I think it's a helpful and important question for us all to ask, particularly in this season. Where are you spending more time right now? Where are you placing more effort? What is taking up more of your emotional energy? American politics or making disciples? Again, I'm not minimizing and saying American politics don't matter. But we have a mission from God our Father and through Jesus Christ to make disciples. Jesus wants you to value what he values and continue the work that he came to do. That means that we live our life on his mission. So more than living out a mandate and living on mission, giving all of our life to Jesus I think means one more thing. It means giving our heart and affections to him as well. Rendering all of our lives means that we live with his mindset, love. Now it's interesting, at the end of Matthew ch- chapter 22, the, the fourth interaction, the fourth trap that they set, uh, deals with this topic. And Jesus addresses his mindset and how he wants people who follow him uh, to care. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when, Jesus heard that he had si- but when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Well, what does it mean to love God? We don't have the time here, but... Scripture is clear. The way we love God is to obey him, to do what he calls us to do as his children. But what does it mean to love others? Well, I think it means to be focused on their welfare above our own, to care for and work for their benefit, no matter the cost to us. That is the attitude and that is the action of love. That is what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. That is your call. You render to God what is his when you live your life, loving him and loving others. Well, well who can you love right now? There's lots of places to, to, to point your love in action, isn't there? Maybe you're concerned about abortion. Yes, write your senator and representative and vote your conscience. Be, be, um, but what about right here, right now? Well, you know the Caring Network facility? Right here in West Chicago, they need volunteers. They help women consider other options besides abortion. What about protecting the vulnerable? Yes, vote your conscience on which person will support these issues as president. But what about serving and supporting Naomi's house right here in Geneva as they minister to women who have suffered from commercial sexual exploitation? Or maybe consider joining or becoming a safe family and help keep children right here in King County out of the foster system. You want to care more for the poor? Yes, research and understand the federal programs that impact the poor. Have an understanding of what is happening at that level. But come, volunteer at Shepherd's Heart. Meet people. Pray with them. Share the good news of Jesus. Serve them. And loved him. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Do your part, participate in the process. Hear me when I say that. That is what Jesus is telling us. But he's also telling us never give a political system more power or value than it deserves. Never put more hope in the president than in our savior. Never trust our government to do what only God can do through his kingdom. And never love a system more than you love people think about it what would it look like if if we all worked to bring order and flourishing to our homes to this church to our schools and to this community what would it look like if we were looking for ways to constantly share the only true hope the good news the gospel with others and we're helping them to live it out and to pass it on what would it look like if we loved like jesus if we really cared more about others than ourselves If we were actively working for the best of others, others who may not look like us or act like us or have anything to offer us, what would it look like? Well, I think it would look a little bit different for all of us. But the funny thing is, if we all live this way, I really believe that it doesn't matter who wins the most important election ever. Remember, we are citizens of heaven. We are to seek his kingdom first. And when we seek his kingdom first, you help your earthly citizenship shine. And you help your earthly community to thrive. You see, being a good citizen of heaven will make you a better earthly citizen. And make our world a better place. You see, the Pharisees, they wanted a revolution. They wanted to overthrow Rome. And maybe you think some sort of revolution is needed in this country. But I wonder, and I, don't th- I know that the Pharisees' revolution was not the idea, that re- that re- that the idea of revolution that Jesus died for. The Pharisees' idea of revolution is not what Jesus died for. He died for a very different revolution. Jesus died for a revolution... Jesus rose again for a revolution of our hearts and our minds. That is the revolution, that out of a transformed heart and mind, we can use our hands and our mouth and our feet as citizens of heaven to bring order and hope and love that can only come from him. So brothers and sisters, be great American citizens, but be better citizens of heaven. May it be true of me and may it be true of you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus and his wisdom. Thank you for the way that he has shown us what it means to to follow you in this earth. And I pray for all of us here in this room that we will render to Caesar what is Caesar's and we will render to you what is yours. Father, we know that our lives belong to you. Use our lives for your sake and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.